Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Ashley Cole, and I've grown to know that this guy is one of the most laziest guys I've known. He'd rather be sleeping than doing anything else. Always lazy. I saw Batman Superman. I heard it's terrible. It's long. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hello again, and welcome to episode 152 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander. And we're bringing you this podcast on a beautiful Wednesday morning at Burnaby Lake West. The sun is shining, WFC Tour training. You'll have a little bit of like ambient background noise as the team get ready to, to build on their fantastic winning start to the season. But... We're not going to talk about WFC2 in this episode of the podcast. We're going to save that for next week when the home opener is approaching. Let's just talk Whitecaps MLS. And after losing the first two games, Whitecaps finished the month of March 2-2. And And the way that there was a lot of doom and gloom going about, Steve, with the the first two games, the losses to Montreal, losses to KC, you didn't really see this coming. But it's maybe not been pretty at times, but it's got the job done. And they're sitting with six points, and they're they're fourth in the West. Yeah, it's 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 actually quite impressive, I think personally, because they they they, they haven't even like we'll talk about this a little bit later, but they haven't got any open goal plays. Everything's from set pieces, penalty kicks. They've won two games with that, and their defense is getting a little bit better. It's kind of working even, and their defense might be better last week, and they didn't even have Waston in there or Parker, which is amazing. Uh, but. I think I think going into these first, last two games of the month, I think we were talking about it. We were saying best case scenario four points, and they came out with six points. So it's uh, a while the under the surface it might not be that uh, rosy. Uh, six points, and they're you know, like you said fourth in the West. Heading into the Houston game, we, we didn't really think we were going to get much from it. When when you thought about the defense, we, we thought Cole Siler would possibly get the start. But he, he took a knock midweek, so that kind of kept him on the bench. So then you had makeshift centre-back, midfielder turned defender Andrew Jacobson coming in, partnering Pamutu Ka, who got his first minutes of the season. Did look a little bit scary at times, but the two of them, Jacobson in particular, man of the match, he was fantastic out there. Yeah, I, I think I think he really was concentrating. And he almost got scored a goal too. Which was which really put it put it over the top as a debut for him. The, the, I think uh, the one thing that really helped was uh, Laba was getting into form as well, um, and I think Morales really stepped back and and got into the box and made some defensive plays. Because Houston was always buzzing around the box, it seemed like uh, they just couldn't get that la- last shot on. They, they hit the they also came up with a couple of saves. I think they hit a post as well. Hit the post, uh, hit the bar. Yeah, and so they they came close, but I think they overall there was no any second chances where they could uh, pot in the ball when it coming off the post or off ousted. So I, I think overall it was solid. I think Fraser aired as well. Um, is getting more comfortable at the right back spot. Yeah, he looks a little scary sometimes, but overall I think he looks pretty good. Yeah, I mean the first clean sheet of the year. 
you wouldn't have thought it was going to come when you've, you're missing your, your yeah. two starting centre-backs. I mean, that, that alone is incredible. But good point you made there. there. The chances that Houston had, Owen Coyle after the game, was seething, I think it's fair to say. One at the penalty decision, but also the fact that his team didn't take anything from the game. He, he felt that their play merited it. They did hit the bar, they did hit the post, they had a couple of chances. But, yeah, that point that you made, the chances that they had... The White Cats defence did not allow any rebounds, which is big because that is often where teams can get punished. But, I mean, the defence clean sheet, they've turned it around. After giving up three goals against Montreal, two goals against Kansas City, Parker and Waston a little bit all at sea at times, and then they just steadied the ship in Seattle, built upon that against Houston. And, as you say, Fraser Aird, he's improving every game. And it's a, it's a promising start on the defensive side. I mean, you're looking at the league-leading defence last year, and it's a, a defence that just doesn't go bad overnight. No, it doesn't. And uh, I, I think that I think they probably... Maybe the partnership between Watson and Parker had a little bit. Of, obviously, as we know, the right-back spot was a major problem in the first two games. So, um, And that, like we said, has resolved itself. Question to you, uh, though, is uh, with everybody coming back now, I know obviously Jacobson's not going to start at centre-back, but would you possibly keep Kaa in there and maybe bring him back with Waston, especially going up against the Galaxy team that's uh, uh, kind of very dangerous up top? Or would you bring Parker in? Considering Parker has played two games in, uh, in a short span, would you, what, what, what do you think would be the best option for them? I think you have to keep with Parker and Waston. At the start of the season, the... the the reason that they kind of didn't have the chemistry that they maybe had last year is they hadn't been playing together. Waston had been playing beside Dean for, for most of the pre-season. Parker had been playing alongside Siler. And then I think it was the last game against Minnesota was the first time they played together. So then they're still getting their chemistry as they headed into the season. Both missed this week. Parker's a young guy. He, he can manage three games in eight days. I, I think you have to stick with Parker and Waston, especially because Carr did look a, a little bit shaky at times. But definitely a good centre defence is looking a lot stronger and more solid now. So we spoke to a couple of the defenders at, at training on Tuesday, so let's hear from them now. Just talking about how they've improved, what they've done to, to bring this new sort of turnaround in, in defence. One goal given up in the last two games, and that was from a set piece. Stunning free kick from even shits down Seattle. So we're going to hear from Jordan Harvey, David Usted, Fraser Aird, and a little bit from head coach Carl Robinson, just talking about the, the Whitecaps' defence and how they've turned things around. From a defensive perspective, obviously, there were some issues early, but you guys must be happy with the, with the last two games especially. Yeah, the last two games, uh, back to our ways, I think back to uh, very good team shape and uh, you know organisation throughout the whole starting eleven, And so um, it was good. And we brought on guys that really helped out down the stretch and, and again, um, we really uh, emphasized keeping a clean sheet, and we were able to do that, so it was really good. What, what do you attribute, like, the difference with the team's play defensive for the last two games to start? Was it just, like, finding your feet, some teething problems, or is there little things that you've done that's changed stuff? I mean, we've been very vocal about the first couple games. It was more so about mental kind of errors or um, different things here and there. It wasn't necessarily about team shape. Um, we kept that... Uh, throughout, I think, you know, the first few games, I think uh, it was more about just little lapses here and there. I think we've kept decent shape. I think it was, it's more so about, you know, eliminating those big mistakes that really impact the game. 
What do you think about uh, the, the defensive performance in general the last two weeks? Must be good to see after, especially the, the very first game, and then obviously the, the the Kansas City game as well, just to see the guys sort of gelling together, even with different faces in there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that that's what we talked about being that defensive unit, uh, no matter who's in there, and knowing what uh, what the plan is defensively and, and how to how to perform uh, as a unit. And uh, like you say, the the first um, first couple of games were was. Uh, was a learning curve, uh, but I think uh, both in Seattle and and to and home against Houston, we showed that we can be uh, that that strong defense. Has much changed? Is it, is it was it just mental mistakes in the first two games, or is it change of perform? I mean, what, what, what's been the difference? I guess. Yeah, I think I think mental mistakes are is, is fair to put it down to that, uh, as well as obviously getting back into that. Um, cohesiveness uh, and, and having the communication uh, in line for the first game. Uh, it, it's there now. We feel like we've we're more settled. Uh, we're better uh, better as a unit. So hopefully that's uh, going to continue going forward. How hard is it like to chop and change the centre backs? You had Kendall and Tim against Seattle. Different pair on Saturday. Probably a different pair this coming Saturday. Does it make that much difference? Uh, it, it's different in the sense that uh, the styles of play uh, are different. Uh, obviously, having Kendall in there comparing to, to maybe Andrew uh, Jacobson is going to be uh, different uh, as well as uh, AJ being a midfielder. Uh, but I thought we did really well, uh, and it, it's down to communication and, and making sure that the guys who are in there normally, the guys who know where, where everybody should be, uh, should communicate that, and, and that makes it easier. Do you think, uh, how do you feel personally? I mean, there, there's a, little, a couple issues in the, in the first game, just as the defensive unit as a whole. How do you sort of feel like you're settling? Yeah, um, obviously, um, the first game. So how was the game, mate? <laughs> good, mate. <laughs> so how do you feel about keeping a clean sheet? Very good, mate. Very yeah? good. How do you feel? I feel super good. So how are you feeling about the new position, right back? Yeah, I like it. I'm trying to get better oh, every day. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. How was he playing with Palmer Luka? Hard? No, it was good. Was it very was a good. Sheet all down to yeah. He helped us out. He was solid at the back. I think the whole back line was good on the day. I'll keep it on my side. <laughs> And also, so personally, how are you feeling like you're, you're settling into everything here? Yeah, obviously, um, it's been good since I've came in. I've enjoyed it. Um, I've enjoyed playing. Obviously, been involved in the first four games of the season. Um, and hopefully, as games go on, get more minutes under my belt, the better I become, the better as a player on and off the park, um, and just adapt to the way that the manager wants me to play. You've had a month sort of under your belt now in MLS. How deep, when you look at your performance in the first game to the last game on Saturday, how, how would you sum it up? Yeah, obviously every game's different. Um, you're going to have ups and downs throughout the season. Um, I don't think I was at my best first game of the season. I think everyone knows that. Um, but the last two games, when we've played well um, as a team, and I thought I've done a lot better um, in the Seattle game and uh, the game against Houston. Um, hopefully I could just continue that and show the form that I know I can show and show everyone why the managers brought me here to play. You must be happy with the, the defensive play of last last two weeks. What's what's changed? Is it just a mentality? I mean, or mental lack of like getting over the mental mistakes? Yeah, we just got back to basics. Uh, you know, defending is uh, is about doing the basics very well. And if you do your individual jobs and you concentrate, then it puts you in. Uh, 
in a chance in every game to try and win it. And, you know, we've done that very well over the last two games. And, you know, credit goes to the guys who stepped in on Saturday because it's not easy uh, when you've got players missing, but they come in and, you know, they've done a fantastic job. So, defence aside, Steve, let's look back quickly at the Houston game. 1-0 win. Wasn't the, the prettiest performance, but the first 25-30 minutes was definitely the best and most breathtaking that the Whitecaps have played attacking-wise so yeah. far this season. Yeah, they just couldn't get the, the final product. Uh, Tichera, Once again. Yeah, Tichera had that little lob that would look really like if it was on, so it would have been a spectacular goal. Uh, a couple other chances by the other guys. Manny didn't seem to be like in it as much. I don't know, maybe I'll miss something. Um, but once they got the goal, it was basically hunker down at that point. And we could tell by the subs in the second half, uh, you know, putting Jordan Smith and Sam Akutubi out there for uh, forwards or midfielders. Uh, you knew that, that basically uh, Robinson was either uh, they're going to hold on for the tie or, or get the win or whatever. They definitely didn't want to lose the game. The one question I have is obviously about the penalty itself. Uh, a lot of people are saying it was a dive. I know there was, I think there was definitely contact, but I think he oversold it and that's what made it, makes it look like a dive. But I, I don't think there's a thing in, in soccer where if, if, if it's not reachable, I think that's an American thing, that if the ball is way overhead and it's not reachable, that it's not a penalty. Is that, is that the case in Europe as well, or, or how, how does that work? It gets taken into account if you're brought down the box and you're trying to get on a ball, for me, it's a penalty. Yeah. Whether Kudo was actually touched, I haven't seen any replay that, to me that really showed anything that would make him go down like that no 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 nothing but there was there was evidence that he there was contact but no evidence that he would be look like he got shot no <laughs> it it hasn't helped adding to the the white caps reputation for flopping and every article i seem to have written on mls soccer in the the last week just has comments from fans of other teams going on about us diving and flopping which I don't mind. I, I like us to be hated. But, but the, you know the thing is, is they have the 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 the, the, the Rivera one um, against Kansas City. That was a legitimate penalty. Yes. Um, the two. I still think Perez was as well. Yeah. He got cleaned out. Yes. That. Yes. That was two. Uh, the, but the one uh, Bolognese and the Kudo. That's veterans knowing how to go down and sell it. Basically, and that's something that Rivero has to learn, I guess. Um, <laughs> but no, but that's that's veterans that know that if they get some kind of contact. That they need to show that they are going down, or and, and not. I think Kudo oversold it. I think luckily Gantar was there, though. Uh, he he was going to call a penalty on that because if somebody falls down, he calls something. So um, we got lucky there. So, but overall, it's good that they're getting these uh, the calls so far. Hopefully, it doesn't hurt them down the road when people see these the referees see these things and then think that there is uh, a legitimate call where it doesn't get called. It'll probably balance out in the end of the season. And we, we never did a podcast after the Seattle game, so this is our first chance to, to talk about Bolanya's penalty. It did look to me that he just basically caught his feet in the turf. He tripped. Yeah. He thinks he got touched because... Yeah. Oh, I'm sure, he, he, I'm sure yeah, there was I, some I kind do, of brush. I do think he genuinely thinks But I think the touched. thing that took him down was the turf. And he, like, when you're running at that, uh, that thing, you have no idea what's going on. But when you're running at that speed, any kind of touch can take you down, basically. You're going to get knocked off balance. You just try to run and... Just like just nick a guy, he's gonna go flying, and is depending on how effective they go when they go flying, they should sell it as well. But I think my favourite bit though with the Bolanias penalty was how he asked for the for the guy to get carded afterwards. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. But it's a good job that we're getting the goals from penalties and uh, the goals from set pieces. I, I joked on Twitter during Saturday's game: Can Pedro Morales possibly win the MLS Golden Boot on penalties alone? 
the serious side to it all, of course, is no goals yet from open play. Yeah. Four matches, six goals, no goals from open play. It's a concern, especially when Robbo brought in Masato Kudo and Blas Perez to kind of help with the goal scoring. Kudo got his first start against Houston at the weekend. Kind of two strikers on the pitch again with Rivero. What did you make of Kudo's play? I thought it was. I think it was solid. I think he's still learning the MLS. I don't think he's gonna. And obviously, as we know, the, in the preseason he had a kind of a knock, so he still might be working from that. I think they were just desperate to put him on at this point because there were so many missing players. I don't think he would have started if everybody was in, and I don't think he'll probably start this week. I think they'll go back to Perez and see what he can do. I, I think I think he's he's got the signs of somebody that can play in the MLS. It's just gonna take time for him, like almost every new player, to the MLS. And the chance he had in the first half that, that Willis did well, stood tall and saved, it's like if, if he'd buried that, that would have given his confidence such a, a boost coming into the league, getting a goal in his first start. And that was a great play, actually, because Kakuta Mani broke and he wasn't selfish. Played it inside to Fraser Aird, who had a lovely, delicate through ball to, to set Kudo up. And, I mean, it's shown glimpses. I like what we've seen. I like what he can offer. At training, he's the guy that's definitely putting the ball in the back of the net. And all to me, that that's a good sign. But yeah, like you say, I think we'll see Perez back starting against LA. But obviously, a lot of questions for Robinson and the team about the lack of goals from open play. We've seen it the last two years. They, they just struggled to put the ball in the back of the net and the amount of chances that they create that, that get squandered. So we spoke to a few players about that at training. It's going to hear from David Eistead and Carl Robinson. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's... Uh... It's a question of time before we, we start seeing those goals. Again, uh, with, with the quality we have up front, um, I, I know we're going to get the goals. We're creating the chances now. Uh, we did against Houston. We hopefully are going to do it against L.A. Now it's about putting them away. Uh, but as Carl said, uh, at the Houston game, uh, if, if, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. We'll, we'll, take, uh, we'll take anything. That, that's a 1-0 win and, and three points like, like everyone else. I feel like it's just a matter of time before our goals from open play start, start flying in. I saw there's lots of working on finishing today, lots of lots of guys hitting the back of the net. Is it just one of those things where you yeah. it's just, it's just a matter of time? I think so. I hope so as well. You know, we've had numerous chances. We know that. We just haven't managed to click in that in that penalty box. Uh, but that will come. I've got no worries about that. Pedro Morales, I mean, he's so automatic from the spotter. He's been that way this season. How much confidence do you have in him just from that area? It's, it's something that seems basic, but you obviously don't want to take it for granted. No, it's it's not easy taking a penalty. It's you know he's done it very calmly in the last couple of games, and you know he's playing with confidence at the moment. Not just his penalties, but his all-round play. I think he's he's setting the tone for the team at the moment, and you know he's rubbing off on people. And if that doesn't rub off on people, then there's something wrong. Um, so I think his all-round performance with the ball and without the ball at the moment is exceptional. Then is that kind of the the Pedro Morales that, that we were used to seeing two years ago when he was? much healthier than he was last year. Yeah, listen, Pedro Morales was the same last year. We, we just couldn't keep him as healthy as we could, uh, would, would have liked last year. And, you know, that happens sometimes. Players are still the same, whether they play well on a Saturday or they don't play well on, on the Monday morning. And confidence plays a big thing as well, if you can keep your players confident. But when you're in a rhythm and you're in a groove and, and you're playing well, then, you know, the game becomes easy. And at the moment, the game is easy with him. But he's putting a lot of hard work into it as well. Can I just ask you about Gavio? Yeah. He's... 
he's kind of frustrated figure out there. We see the work he's putting in. It's just nothing's. He's not getting the breaks. Nothing's coming off for him. Is he needing a goal to just kind of raise how he's feeling about things? I think he's got to keep going. I think he's got to keep doing what he's doing because he is putting an incredible amount of work up there at, at the moment. And you know, he played with Masato on Saturday, and I thought there was very, very good signs of of the two of them in working in conjunction with each other he did it with Blas Perez the day the weekend before so you know there's some really really positive signs obviously he'd like a goal we know that uh, but his goals will come if he keeps putting the work in then I'm sure they'll come at some stage so there is definitely a, a concern about their lack of goals from open play I think it'll come you, you really want it to come in a game that, that's coming up like the LA game but we'll, we'll talk about that shortly and the team that the Whitecaps beat on Saturday, Houston, that, that's the kind of team that you want to emulate. Free scoring, exciting, fast-paced wingers, dangerous around the box. Yeah, they didn't score on Saturday, but 11 goals in their first three games. Leading the league in that regard, although only four points from it, which is disappointing to them. But when you consider that Houston was one of the teams that, that didn't make the playoffs last year, their target this year is to get in the playoff mix. That puts added pressure on the Whitecaps and all the other teams that were there last year. But their head coach, Owen Coyle, is very confident that, that he can get Houston into the playoffs again this year. And as disappointed as he was after the game on Saturday, I had a chance to catch up with Owen at his hotel on Friday morning. So we had a really good chat, about a 20-minute chat, just talking about his journey to MLS, a little bit about his history, how hard it is for a UK manager coming into MLS with all the different quirks and that, what he's expecting from Houston this year and a lot more besides. So this is a regular thing we're going to do in the podcast this year. We're going to have some lengthy chats with opposition managers and coaches, either pre-game or post-game, just to to bring you a a little bit non-Whitecaps coverage. So we hope you enjoy this. It's a little bit noisy in the background, but hopefully you can hear it okay because we we met at the breakfast buffet. So obviously there's a lot of noise and, and stuff around with that, but I hope you enjoy it. It's a lot of interesting stuff in there. So let's hear now from Houston Dynamo head coach Owen Coyle. Hey, the type of lose when we in the race. Hey, we up in the place and we gon' put it in their face. Let them know Houston Dynamo. Oh, Houston Dynamo. Oh, Houston Dynamo. Oh, Houston Dynamo. Uh, so first of all, thanks. Thanks very much, Owen, for doing this. You've been in MLS now for, for just over a year. How have you, you found your first year in, in America? Has it, has it been quite a, a big learning curve for you? Yeah, I, th- I think as a, as a coach you're always learning, it goes without saying. And, uh, and I think coming to the MLS, the MLS is it's very unique. It's a league like no other in, in respect of, I've been very fortunate to be involved in some you know, big leagues, the Premier League, the Championship, such forth, my time in Scotland as well. And, uh, and the MLS with the, with the travelling, uh, I mean, you've got to understand that back home, if we're playing a road game, as it's called over here, an away game, I mean, the boys are on the coach for maybe 30 minutes. So if we're playing our derby, your derby's normally five miles away and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, our derby is against FC Dallas, which is a one-hour flight. So I think that was a huge that was a huge learning. Because I really equates, if truth be told, to playing Champions League and Europa League every second week. Because the travel, we now obviously come into Vancouver, uh, just under a five-hour flight. You know, that's going to 
well into Russia to play in the Champions League for a five-hour flight in Europe. So within that, of course, there's, there's different little things that, that we have learned, absolutely. Because I brought my teams for six years in a row to the US in the pre-season. With, with, with Burnley, Bolton, with Wigan, six years in a row, played a lot of the teams in, the, in different uh, areas of the United States, but it still doesn't give you a grasp for what for what the league entails once you're in the in the thick of it. So of course, there's loads of stuff we, we learned. I mean, even in terms of uh, how the teams play, there's similar, there's, there's different little setups in that in terms of what kind of player can be successful within the MLS. And I think that's something after a year we'll, we've recognised that. Uh, you know, within even the last season, you can see there's, there's certain traits that certain teams have that can prove successful. And but it's not rocket science. I mean, another thing we all know as well that you know, if you have great finance, then of course you get far better players. That's you know, I mean, that's everybody knows that worldwide. But I think yeah, there's been a there's been a terrific learning experience with the MLS, absolutely. And uh, and I'm enjoying every minute of it as, as I have from from the, the first first minute I came. And you're going to have been asked this so much since since you came here, but. The, the appointment, it kind of seemed a little bit out of left field because not a lot of UK managers come over here. Uh, we've got Carl Robinson here in Vancouver. He's done very well, but he was a, he was a player here, yeah. so he knew the league. How, how, did it, how did it come about? Did you have a previous relationship at all with Houston? Yeah, I, th- I think there's merit in that. I think it's like anything else. I had uh, I'd actually brought uh, Bolton Wanderers to Houston Dynamo in 2011 okay. and played in their Charities Cup game. Uh, so I'd explain why you got Stuart Holden. No, no, no. I'd already signed Stuart previously. Oh, had you? Okay. I'd signed Stuart Holden because I, the reason we came back to Houston was because I had Stuart Holden. Right. I signed Stuart Holden in 2010 because uh, having brought my teams from 2007, I had a vested interest in MLS. I was looking, always seeing the players and everything else. And it became aware that Stuart might be available so again did your homework watched the games as we did and, and managed because he was out of contract to, to, to sign him on a free transfer probably I would say for me one of the best signings ever made he was unbelievable shooting holding and the year he got cruelly injured he was as good a midfielder as he was in the Premier League I mean we had Bolton in the top six in the Premier League with no we were cutting back financially every year but yeah we're still we didn't spend any money I came into Bolton Wanderers uh, in January 2010, second bottom of the league, favourites for relegation. We didn't spend any money. We signed Stuart Holden on a free transfer from Houston Dynamo. I brought Jack Wiltshire in on loan from, from Arsenal. I brought Vladimir Weiss on loan from Manchester City and kept both Wanderers up with nine points to spare. Never spent a penny, cutting back all the time. And then the following season, as I said, we'd bought in the top six for the, the majority of that season until Stuart was cruelly injured against Manchester United and again that was cutting back as well but Stuart Holden was a huge part of that so going back to the question we sent Stuart uh, the, the year earlier came back a year uh, to play Houston Dynamo because I always came to the US anyway so it was a nice tie up played the game at the old Robertson Stadium and uh, met then obviously Chris Canetti the president Dominic Dom's a good friend of mine You'd, you're probably not aware of this as well but Dominic actually came on trial to Bolton Wanderers when I was a player in 1994 and myself and John McGinley, the Scots International, who you know, and myself and John kind of looked after Don for the two weeks because obviously the, his affiliation with Glasgow and yeah. particularly with me with Glasgow Celtic as well, you know, so and McGinley's Celtic daft as well. So we're all kind of singing for the same hymn sheet, should I say. So, and I was really surprised that we never signed him because he was a wonderful player, but Bruce Rio, the manager, and decided not to for whatever reason. And uh, But I kept in touch with Dominic from then on, we just chatting about football as you do, sending on messages here and there. And I think then when, when Dominic was leaving to, to go back to, to, to San Jose, then uh, just then they were looking about, they were looking for a, let's be honest, they were looking for a, a very good candidate to be the head coach. They looked and they, you know, they asked me if they were interested in speaking to him, which I was. And from then on it just went from there. So uh, 
and, and again that's how it came about the game's the same game of yeah. course there's different uh, different intricacies and, and, and understanding because the MLS with salary cap and roster size and different things of course there's challenges but there's challenges in every league in the world and I've worked in the best league in the world so that's not anything that phases me we come here with our eyes wide open and, uh, and as I said before we're now we believe putting a, putting a decent team together through I would suggest as well not not the finance of a lot of the other clubs in MLS but we know how to play we know the pieces we need in the jigsaw and that's all we're trying to do working hard every day and putting what we want I mean I want an exciting team I mean we've got the best game in the world and I want to be played in the right way I want to win games nobody wants to win more than me but equally I want to make sure that what we put out there is pleasing in the eye and people like to come and watch it like talking about building a team it's different in the UK you can go and spend money you haven't got that cap restraint your hands I guess were a little bit tied in your first season because you're inheriting a, a team which you always do when you take over but this off season I think it was what 12 players gone and 11 came in do you feel you've kind of put your own stamp on the team now? Well what we've done is we, we, we had to certainly we felt there was, there was a number of changes that needed to be made in terms of how our teams want to play and, and I think uh, in principle we've did that would I love the finance to go and get a, a Giovinco? Absolutely. So would, you know, uh, again, you look at you know, Toronto, for example, Giovinco, Bradley, Altidore. I mean, you put this, because, because everybody knows what everybody earns, player-wise, because it's there. So Toronto last season and this season will probably have five, six times the budget of, of Houston Dynamo. So we would all love that budget to go and get those, those wonderful players. But when you don't, you've got to make the best of what you've got. And that's something we've always done. I've always we've been punched above our weight. We've done it everywhere we've been financially, all our clubs, and uh, and again we've, we've been successful. So that's what we look to do here. Is it different? Yes, it is because sometimes the way the the, the MLS structured is that it probably takes a period of time for players' contracts have got to expire. Back home we can chop and change a bit more quicker, uh, if need be. So uh, in, in in essence we've brought a number of players in. There's not huge finance involved in it. It's just been you know well, that's available. What's the best we get for that? And that's what I've tried to do, and and put a good. Uh, in respect of a good team but a good team spirit we worked hard at that again we started the season on fire and then uh, only one game last year was I able to name the same team with all the, the inconsistency so there was no continuity no consistency of selection with 38 missed appearances with internationals which affects both ourselves in Vancouver to, tomorrow again yeah. uh, so that's another thing within the league I mean I had 14 internationals in both Wanderers never missed a game for the club Whereas I alluded to earlier, there are 38 missed appearances through international. So, again, that's another little tweak within the league. But that being said, we, we think we're, we're moving in the right direction. Are we the finished article? No. But we're moving the right way in terms of getting an exciting team that can win games. And that's what we want to do. We want to, like everybody else, push to be in those playoffs. And if we're in there, we believe that we can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and have as good a chance as anybody. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like Every club you've managed, St Johnston, at Burnley and Bolton, you've not had big budgets to, to yeah. do with, as you say. Does that help you like identify like the, the talent? Like Carl Robinson's great in Vancouver for doing yeah. that. He hits South America. He goes for the cheap countries. Doesn't go for Brazil or Argentina because it's pricey. So he goes for the cheaper yeah. countries. The experience you've had building squads with no budget that must help you huge here. Well, I think I think it always helps you because I mean it's it probably goes back to our upbringing and that we nobody gave us anything easy. We had to fight and scratch for everything. So we always take a, a pride in that if you know, we are going to to get whatever player it is that we get the best value for for what that is you know we're certainly not uh, we're certainly not flamboyant and flash I mean we're very you know as I say 
hard working, conscientious and trying to get the best players for what's available. And you're right, I mean you mentioned Cal, Cal's a good friend of mine, somebody I've got a terrific regard for, not only as a coach but as a, as, as a person, he's an outstanding young man, a terrific young coach and I've got no doubt he's going very, very far in the game. I, I really, I hope he does because as I said before, I've got such high opinion of him. And he's did very well in that market, of course, having played in the league and that natural progression that he's made. Uh, it's been great. I mean, he's got a good staff there as well. The lads that work with him are brilliant. They've got a good camaraderie, and, and that helps. You know, they've got a really good group. And I say, I know all those boys. And even in Arizona, we'd spend time together because you know we, we like each other's company. That being said, it won't stop both of us tomorrow. We're going all out for that win. But you're right. I think there's a there's part of that when it, whether it be your upbringing or whatever. That when you've got to go and source players because you don't have the finances of some of the other big clubs, then. That's something that we're leaving no stone unturned and trying to get the best player for that position for the best finance available. And like coming coming to the US, if if it was in the UK and you had a season like Houston did last year, didn't make the playoffs, might get fired at the end of it because there's no job security at all in the UK just no, now. No, but no, I would, well, I would disagree on that in respect. Of, at the end of the day, I mean, it's if you come in and you and inherit what was happening before. Oh, yeah, we, yeah, we never. With all due respect to the to the question, we never inherited a team of champions. We inherited yeah. a team that were that missed out in the playoffs by a huge margin in the Eastern Conference. So we came in and, and you then you go to a harder conference. Well, yeah. but how was that? You look at just Dynamo last year, Houston Dynamo. I don't know if you, you looked at it or not. Houston Dynamo's record. We just missed out in the playoffs. Our home record in the last oh, ten, yeah. our home record in the last ten games was seven wins, two drawn, and one defeat in the last ten home games. What we have to do as a club, and I think it's historically. We have to do better on the road, and because we'd have picked up a couple of wins, a couple of extra wins in the road last year, we'd have been in those playoffs. So, in terms of when you look at what we've put into the club, the infrastructure, then of course that club now is far better set to be successful moving forward, and that's the job you do. I mean, whatever league you're in in the world, whether it be England, whether it be the US, whether it be China, Japan, in terms of coaching, there's no long-term security for anybody yeah. because it can change very quickly. Of course, it might be culturally there might be little differences in that but the bottom line is that's not anything that, that ever phases me the bottom line I t it's like wherever I've been as a player you come in every day and you do your very best and see what happens they end up as long as you know you can look in the mirror at night and say I've done my best there then there's no issue with that and that's the way we we'd, we'd, I don't live looking over my shoulder far from it I live the front foot moving forward yeah, I mean, I, I, it just it feels there's more job security though for managers here because you get given longer to, to build your squads. Whereas well, the pressure, Christ would say that, would he? No, but then he's coming from a big, big money backing it's as well. It's, so. it's, the same, it's, the for, it's the same for everybody. I mean, uh, Frank Yallop last year. Any league, there's always going to be changes. That's that's the nature of the league. So it's changing here. Like it, it, when I, I've been here since 2007, and initially. Managers, you could have three years to, to build a team. I understand that, yeah. but I think you're right. I think that it's like anything else. All the leagues are changing because what happens is people think, and they do, and this is just a generalisation now, everybody wants success yesterday. And it's not as simple as that because, particularly in MLS, ultimately there can only be one champion. Yeah. So, does that mean, and I always say this before, even if you go into the, you know, the Premier League and you have the 20 best, let's go, the, let's go to the English Premier League and get the 20 what's perceived to be the 20 best managers, head coaches in the world and put them in that league. Somebody's going to be first and somebody's going to be 20th. Does that make him a bad coach? Far from it. Because there's budgets, there's difference, there's uncontrol, there's a few. So the, the true, the purists that look at the game, I think, understand the game. Is that commonplace now? Well, I don't know because I think there's a lot of money came into the game. Uh, and within that, you may and you may not have the 
people that probably don't have a, a true understanding of of really how the game should be structured in terms of infrastructure. There's no uh, no surprise that when you look at Sir Alex Ferguson, when you look at Arsene Wenger, that those clubs have been successful because it's been balanced, there's been longevity, and the people have been allowed to do to do their job. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson is the best example. When all the furore at the time that if he didn't win the cup final, he, he wouldn't be there. And can you imagine that if Manchester United changed Sir Alex Ferguson? It'd be like they are now. Well, like... well, you don't, well, that's what I'm saying. We, we don't know. We never know. Yeah. We, we never know that. But what I'm saying is. People looked at Alex Ferguson and they knew how hard he was working, they knew the infrastructure he was putting in place. And as I said before, as much as people want success yesterday, good things take time to build. Good to put that infrastructure in place and then you start to reap the rewards. And I mean, the, the, the people that I think certainly understand what that's about, then, then of course I think they look and think, oh well, okay, we're putting the right platform, putting the right building blocks in place. And if you do that, you'll always have a chance for success. I've watched you for years as a player, playing against these five in the lower leagues of Scottish football for Clyde Barron Cadre. So, these five, it must have been the first well, division. Well, first division. Yeah. The class that, yeah. Here, I guess, they'd call it as the lower leagues. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's when I was 18 and 19. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I. is it weird to think, like, playing there and now you're in, in North America and just, like, how a game like soccer can... Yeah, transit. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a great question. I think you're right. I mean, I started as a as a 13-year-old at Dumbarton and... Uh, uh, my two older brothers played, uh, Joe and Tommy, so obviously came from, from a footballing family from, uh, from the Gorbals. And, uh, and as you're growing up as a, a part-time player as I was at 17, 18, making my debut, and then, as you say, to think then you're sitting in, in America, well, what, 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 36 years, coming up for 50, 36 years later, then of course you wouldn't have envisaged that at the time, but that's what our game does, it's such a beautiful game, and, and it is, it's a global game. And it's getting bigger in the, in, the, in the US now as well, yeah. and really growing at such a pace. And MLS has a huge role to do with that as well. I also feel as well that within that, there's a huge obligation to look at the, the grassroots and get that up and running because between North America, USA, Canada, I mean, the size of these countries, they should be, I believe, in the next eight, ten years, pushing on to challenge it, you know, World Cup levels. Because if you if you go to them, and I know the college education is so important, but if you look at those countries and, and sort out the grassroots and the development of young players. Then surely with the different, all the different nationalities is coming in, how diverse the countries are. You're not telling me there's huge talent there that can't then go on to play for national teams and have success there. But again, in answer to your question, no, I don't think I would have envisaged at 13. You'd, you'd be in, in Houston as head coach. But as I said before, this is such a fast-growing league. One is already, I believe, in the, in the top uh, probably 10 in the world and getting better. Then we want to encourage good players coming into the league. We want to have terrific coaches, which we've got, and we want to keep improving in both ends. And I think we do that then before. This is going to be a very desirable league to be part of, and it's already been shown to be the case. And when, and I've got to applaud them for this, we spoke about finance earlier, but when Toronto can, uh, can encourage a, a young Rio Vinco to leave Juventus to come to the league, that sets a real marker because before people viewed it as world-class players, but maybe at 32, 33, all of a sudden you're getting an Italian star who can play the Juventus team just now, playing the tops, any top teams in the Premier League, in the MLS and turning on for, uh, you know, for, for uh, as I say, for Toronto. Some terrific young players come into the league as well, you know, Castillo at Dallas and, and different players. Carlos got a couple of young crackers here at Vancouver. So I think all in all, it's a, it's a very healthy state of affairs for the MLS and we want to keep encouraging the young players to develop so that we have a, a conveyor belt of talent coming through year after year. But uh, yeah, for a, an answer to, to sum up, for a wee Gorbals guy to be sitting in, in, uh, in America, then I'm probably a, a huge surprise to everybody.
obviously coming from the UK, I spoke to Carol Craig at Minnesota when we were down in Portland, and he was talking about already he's getting phone calls from, from players wanting to come over. Are you getting a constant stream of calls, not just from players, but maybe, maybe other managers, yeah. just to sign down for it's like here? No, you do. I mean, uh, uh, you, you get, we're inundated with players, obviously. But again, the challenge is always, as you'll notice, is that we only have so many international slots. And then within that, so again, it's another little intricacy of the league that uh, we have so many international slots and finding the right players for the right finance that fit into that. So, of course, it's, I mean, it's always a huge puzzle putting it together. But it's, it's a great challenge. And of course, yeah, I mean, I think throughout... Uh, North America has always been good British coaches particularly that's came and, and worked with colleges and worked with different youth, youth clubs and such forth uh, but I think everybody looks and sees it's a league on the up and, uh, and you know a lot of people feel they want to be a part of it and very last thing if you look back at your whole career player, manager what do you what do you see so far as your crowning achievement and do you have any regrets about anything? No I don't uh, I think uh, I've been very fortunate, very blessed and, and very humbled to have had my career in, in the game that we love. I mean, if I hadn't had this career, I'd, I'd have been paying a fiver with you to go and play five sides because we love the game. And uh, so that enthusiasm, I mean, that never leaves you. We're just, you know, as I say, we're so lucky to do what we do. Uh, I've been very fortunate as a player. I mean, I scored just nearly 300 goals, 297 goals. So I'd like to think I had a, a decent career as a, as a striker and played as long as I could because the, best, the playing days are the best days of your life. I mean, to, to be able to run about and affect the game on the field. Once you get a little bit slower and then you're, you can't keep up as you used to do, then of course it's a natural transition for me into coaching. And I've been very fortunate to have worked with some wonderful clubs, wonderful players, wonderful chairman and owners, I've got to say as well. And Phil Gansley just passed away there, uh, God rest him, who I got on really well with at, at Baltimore. And there's Brendan Flood at Burnley. If there's a, if there's as, as good a man, in football was Brendan Flood then. I've not met him yet. I mean, he's just an outstanding man. Loved his club. And the, the stuff we achieved at, at Burnley was incredible. Uh, so, I mean, again, uh, St Johnston, Jeff Brown, obviously, you know, uh, appointed me as a player manager at the time and, and, and allowed me to cut my teeth and, and get better as I was going. So I've got, I've got to be thankful for so many people, I really say that. And in terms, I think it'd be, it'd be remiss, or, or sorry, it'd be wrong of me to say, well, there was one one little thing. I've been very fortunate to, I think, have had a, a lot of success in different ways, even you know, developing young players to have played a small part in, in the roles, how those players have developed. And that gives me great satisfaction to think that you can help young players because people helped me when I was young. And so to give that back, be able to do that, then of course uh, that, that, that gives me no end of, uh, uh, of enjoyment, I've got to say. So that's all we do. Every day we come out, we love the game, we get a smile on our face, we go and give our best. If somebody's better on you in a day, then you hold your hand up. The frustration for me is that when you don't get to your maximum, that's always a frustration. But it's such a wonderful game. There will be times, there'll be ups and downs. But again, you always stay balanced. I mean, uh, we had a terrific performance and result against Dallas the other week. We don't get too high about it because we know the game goes you know, from one, one extreme to the other. And equally, if we lose the game, we don't get too low about it. There's always reasons why that happens. You look at them, you analyse them and you move forward. But in answer the question, I think I've been very fortunate, very blessed. And, and I've loved every minute and long may it continue. That's great. Thank you so much for your time this morning. And love talking to you. Cheers, So Owen Coyle there, hope you enjoyed that chat. It was it was great catching up with him. As you heard there, I used to watch him many, many years ago playing against East Fife for Clyde Bank and Airdrie, and it's kinda of weird now to to see him managing a team in, in Major League Soccer. 
So I mentioned during the interview, not a lot of UK managers come over to MLS, but more and more UK players are certainly coming over. And one of the, the higher profile ones in recent years has been former Liverpool guy Stevie Gerrard. And a lot of fans expecting Gerrard to be at BC Place this Saturday. They've opened the whole lower bowl, over 27,000 seats. LA Galaxy with all their big money and star-studded names coming to town. Or are they, Steve? Because it, it doesn't look like Gerard's going to make it, and surely that can only be a good thing for the Whitecaps. Oh, for sure. Uh, the, it will be a thing, good thing for the Whitecaps. It won't be a good thing for all the Liverpool fans that, sh- that show up, but uh, for the Whitecaps. Uh, but the, even without uh, with Gerard and, and, and uh, I think we were talking about beforehand, Keane might be... Uh, uh, has a slight knock because he left uh, Ireland camp or something like that? Yeah, he, he left Ireland camp early, didn't play in the game on Tuesday that they had, so I, I don't think he's going to make it either, which, yeah. like, I mean, Gerard's not been playing that well for me anyway, I don't think whether he plays or not is that big a deal a for the Whitecaps, yeah. but if they miss Keaton, that's huge. Yeah, but they still have a lot of talent. They have Zardes, yeah, they have the Santos, uh, and a number of guys uh, all over the pitch. Um, I, I think it's still going to be a tough game for uh, the Whitecap, but uh, but they got their players coming back too, which is a positive for them. So I think it'll be a very fun, exciting game, and hopefully, unlike other games, they can get a goal early from open play, quiet all the critics down, and just move on with the season. It's going to be a tough one, and it's one of those games, and we've seen it before actually with games against LA, that if the Whitecaps can get a result, it's kind of like a season-defining moment. It yeah. spurs them on, they go on a bit of a run, and... For, for all the lack of goals from the Whitecaps and for all the big names of, of LA, I, I, I do fancy the, the Whitecaps to get something from this game. LA still aren't firing on all cylinders. There's still a lack of some chemistry there. And they never do at the beginning of the season. It's something weird about them. Well, not really weird, but they, they probably make a lot of, they make a lot of changes. Uh, this this offseason, they got rid of Omar Gonzalez. Uh, sold him off and they brought in somebody new so probably their back end isn't as, as tight as it used to be yeah they but they got a lot of high-end prices players um uh de Jong, um i'm not sure is he is he in or in, he should be back right it I looks think. like he returned to training this week so it looks like yeah. he's going to be good to go so, and dos Santos as well looks like another guy that, that's going to be good to go so with a guy like de Jong on the pitch you know morales is going to play as deep as possible to stay away from him uh, because he uh, he obviously doesn't want to get kicked in the chest or anything like that. So the, I expect it, I expect it to be a free flowing game, but they're going to have to attack wide. They're going to have to use their width in order to because they're down the middle. They're pretty solid, especially if Young does play. That's the thing with LA. It's like whenever LA come to time, it, it does seem to bring the best out of a, a number of Whitecaps players. Russell Tiber's back in training this week, and Russell Tiber seems to thrive. Especially against Robbie Keane. Yeah, when he, when he plays. I mean, if, if Keane was going to make it, I think we might maybe have seen Tiber get his first start of the year. I think it's too early for him, though, and I, I don't think he will play. But looking at the Whitecaps lineup, obviously we're going to have Eisted, we're going to have Aird and Harvey, and we talked about it in the first half. It looks like it. I can't see you not going back to, to Parker and Waston yeah. unless one of them got a knock being away on international duty or they're just a little bit shattered returning from international duty. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that lineup. Uh, the back end seems solid. The only thing is, like I said, if Parker, if they if they feel comfortable with Ka, if Parker wants to sit, they might sit him for that. Or maybe play him at right back and see how that works if they really want to put out their best four on the defensive back. Then you have the big question as to, to what formation they're going to go for and like what midfielders are going to play. I, I do think we're going to see Rivero and Perez both on the pitch. Whether that means 4-4-2 
or a 4-2-3-1 or I don't know what, what formation he's going to play. It would be hard to drop Jacobson after the way that he played against Houston, but it's a different kind of game, so maybe he wants yeah. to just have a, a more attacking side up there. Because if you have Jacobson on the pitch beside Laba and Morales in there as well, and you have, yeah, and if you have Rivero and Perez, you've only got spot for either Bolaños or Teixeira or Mane. And I don't know whether he's going to want to go with just one of those or whether he would want to go with two of those. Yeah, I, I think the I think if they go four four two, I think Jacobson probably sits on the bench. I know he had a player of the match performance, but uh, I, I still think that you stick Morales in there. If they go four two three one, then I see Jacobson come in, and I see Rivero probably starting up top by himself at that point uh, with with Mane and Bolognas out the wings and Morales obviously in between them. I'd just like to see Perez getting the start because he looked so good and the team looked so good when he when he's in in there. And against LA with a, a lot of guys that he can rile up a little bit, like Ashley Cole. Blas Perez versus Ashley Cole, that is a, a hot-headed situation made in heaven, I think. Yeah, and I think Perez will probably have the advantage over Ashley Cole because uh, I don't think Cole has very much uh, a book on Perez. So he'll, he'll, he'll be surprised if Perez does anything to him and he'll probably lose it at that point. I'm also pretty sure that Ashley Cole and Books is, is not really something that goes together anyway at the best no. of times. I, I don't think going forward, if everyone's healthy and, and he's playing the first team thing, I don't think we're going to see Teixeira and Manny on the pitch together for a while. Teixeira seems to be struggling to go past the 70 minute mark. Manny as well is a little bit off his game. For me, I'd, I'd have one playing for an hour and then bring the second one on for half an hour. Which one, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think uh, together, I think now with Bolognese as an option, I don't think you need to play them together. Um, I, I, I do agree with you that having one start and the other one come off the bench is probably better. What I would like to see is maybe uh, Tichera maybe starting and then Manny coming off with a speed afterwards when the you know, defenders are getting tired or something and maybe he could bring something off the bench and then the next week maybe swap it out and bring him. And that way Manny gets to rest his ankle. I don't know how... Uh, at what percentage point he is health-wise, but if he's anything less than 90, maybe bring him off the bench and give him a, like a, uh, an hour off in the match and maybe bring him on for half an hour. So that's some of our thoughts on the LA game. Let's hear a little bit now from the Whitecaps camp. So the guys that we spoke to on Tuesday had a few words about the LA game coming up as well, so let's hear from them now. What about LA, obviously? I mean, I'm not sure who's <laughs> going to be in their lineup, but they do have some stars. Just sort of looking forward to that game. What do you guys sort of expect? It's always a big game uh, with LA coming in. Um, and I feel like guys really step up in these games. Um, different individuals throughout uh, my time here have stepped up in these games. And so um, another big game at home. Uh, need to do what we did well against Houston and Seattle and, and eliminate the big mistakes like we did the first couple games. I think we'll be in it. So one of the messages this week to, to keep uh, pedal to the metal after a, an opening 25 minutes like you guys had on Saturday and, and not let a team LA to come out either way that Houston did? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, the first 25 minutes was um, was what we want to do at home. Uh, we were aggressive. We were good with the ball. We created chances. Uh, we obviously need to put them away, but um, yeah, that those 25 minutes are, are, are really positive. Just briefly about uh, about LA. I mean, everyone knows the the names they have. We're not sure who's gonna who's gonna play and who's not gonna play. Um, 
But just throw your thoughts on, on, the, on that matchup and the test they pose. Uh, it's a great team coming in. Uh, we know their uh, their strength and we know the the guys who are, who are coming in uh, are, are top quality players. So it's going to be a, a great sense of, of where we are as a, as a team right now and, and what we need to work on. Uh, but it's still an LA team that's coming in that's beatable. Uh, I believe, especially at home, that we can beat uh, any team in this league and, and hopefully we, we show up with the urgency and, and belief that, that we can win that game. And then with uh, LA coming in, obviously they've got some, some pretty big names on, on, on their team. I'm not, not sure about availability due to injury, but just what are your thoughts on, on that team coming in here on, on Saturday? Yeah, obviously um, LA's known for having their big name players, but at the end of the day, it's 11 v 11 on the park. Uh, um, every team that comes and plays us or every team we go and play, they're going to have big names. That's what MLS is all about. Every team has a fair number of, of DP players. Um, regardless of their name, they're all good players to me. Um, and at the end of the day, we need to go and do what we do best, play football and hopefully get the result that we want. What do you make of Los Angeles? They've added a lot more all-star caliber players. Yeah, they've got some big names. Good, good team, obviously. Bruce has done a great job of assembling a, a star-studied lineup. Um, you know they're they're the top team in MLS. We know that, so it's going to be a very tough game for us. But it's a game we've got to look forward to, um, especially at home. We know that you know we'll have thousands of fans out there supporting us. Um, you know, but we're we're ready to have a, give them a game. But we we know it's not going to be easy. They're a good team. They've got key players and key areas that we're going to have to be careful of. And yeah, but so have we. Um, with the fact that you've got a group of players that are away on international duty, don't come back until Thursday, and so you're kind of working with the one group, and then they come back in late. How, how does that affect your preparing for a game on Saturday? It's not ideal, um, but it is what it is. We'll deal with it. We won't complain about it. We'll just get on with it. We've we've done a good session today with the small group we've had. We'll do a session again tomorrow, and then we'll we'll get ready for Thursday, Friday. Um, you know, as long as you keep them keep them ticking over, we'll do the tactical work on Thursday and Friday. Does that affect how you have to look at how you're going to go out on Saturday because you got to wait until late? The yeah, come it, back? it probably does. Yeah, it's not it's not ideal, uh, but it is what it is, and you know you get on with it. I'm in contact with the players who are away, and we'll see how they come back. Hopefully, they come back fully fit as well, and you know we'll make decisions on Thursday. But you know nothing, nothing will be set until Thursday, Friday anyway. So that's some of the Whitecaps' thoughts on the LA game coming up. It's going to be a tough one. I do fancy the Whitecaps' chances in this. My, my prediction is going to be 2-1, an optimistic prediction this week, which usually when I'm optimistic, they lose, yeah. and when I'm pessimistic, they win. So let, let's see if I can break that jinx. Well, maybe if we both be optimistic, then it'll it'll cancel each other out. And I will say that the Whitecaps will win 2-0. And I'm interested to see whether Marco Bustos gets a spot on the bench and gets some minutes in this game. Well, beat England. I'm not single-handedly, but I mean, for, for me, winning, goal. for me, anyone that, that can beat England just deserves a medal. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd give Bustos a little bit of reward for that. And of course, let, let's talk a little bit about Canada. Canada under 20s, great for them. Yeah. Beat England 2-1, or Whitecaps beat England 2-1. Even Carl Robinson said it's always good to beat England, so yeah. so that was good. And Caden Chung got the first goal, another yeah. Whitecap. It was a fantastic run off the left side, and even, like we said, he's a right-footed player, so having his right foot on the inside, uh, it was perfect spot for him to get that uh, shot inside the post. And then Bustos with that another almost individual type effort, and then he scored on the inside the post as well. So two clinical finishes at that point. And that's actually why we're at Whitecaps 2 training this morning. We're speaking to Caden Chung. I'm doing a piece on USLsoccer.com for him. And we'll, we'll run the whole interview with Caden next week on the podcast, just as a, as a build-up to the WFC2 season opener. 
But it was great, Canada under-20s, a lot of white caps. You had Alfonso Davies starting, Marco Carducci on the bench, former white cap Dario Zanata starting, Dwayne Ewer as well. He, he was part of the, the team, but the, that's, I think that's why they got the win. They had white caps. Canada's senior team, two games against Mexico, two defeats, no white caps. Oh, the one white cap, out of straight. But no current white caps. No. So to me, that was why they lost. But so you see, Russell Tiber would have made the difference. I, I think Fraser aired at right back. That would have made a difference. Maybe have made a difference. Sam Kubi at left back would maybe have made a difference. Anyone at right back. Yeah. Anyone but Daniil Henry. I, I just don't understand it. And I guess we could, we'll talk a little bit about it right now. After the game against the USA, like the fact that he was the, not only like the, the cause on the goal, but the, uh, in the a few leading up moments, he was really getting broken down at right back. To go again with him against Mexico, not putting a center back, I, thought, well, I was just so surprised. I, whether have, I know I'm not a big fan of Nick, Nick Ledgerwood. He's like, you know, a journeyman type player or whatever. He's not going to be a, he's not a star. I think he's well, plus 30 above. But I'd rather put somebody like that who's solid, knows the position, has played it most of his life against one of the top teams in not only CONCACAF, but arguably the world, the team that will bake the World Cup. Yeah, you got to put somebody out there that is going to be, knows the position, like I said. I mean, I don't even rate Daniel Henry as a centre-back, and he, he plays for one what? of the teams I support, West Ham, and I hope he never, ever gets to see a first-team appearance for West Ham in the Premiership. No, a lot of teams do. Like, I, I think he, he'll be a, a solid centre-back down the road. But, but he makes so not, many mistakes, gave but, away the penalty down in the Azteca as well. But the, but he's playing right back, right? He's not supposed to He's not supposed to be in that position, and that's where I, I blame Floro for that. Like, why are you putting him in that position? To get anything from Mexico is going to be a tough ask. So let's not talk about that. Let's okay. look forward yeah, at this to point, September. There's two games left. Yeah, at this it's point, in Canada's own hands. Essentially. Um, they, but they do need to get uh, two results now. They uh, need four points. They need, they need a point against Honduras. Uh, and they'll be traveling there. That's the first match. Yep. And then they essentially need to beat El Salvador at home. Which I think they should be able to do. And they should, depending on where they play. Um, and it could all come down to goal difference because if, if Honduras beat Canada, as long as it's not by a number of goals, yeah. you're then hoping for Mexico to beat Honduras and, and Canada did. to somehow start whacking the goals in against El Salvador. And Mexico is advanced, and so you're not sure like what kind of strong lineup Mexico is going to bring to the table in, in that month. Do they give some players the time off? And with Copa, Mexico being in Copa America, that, that's going to be maybe their strongest lineup. And then maybe in, by September they maybe not bring their B group. Yeah, and maybe like Honduras pl- is planning able- for the hex, like just exactly. experiment with a few guys. Exactly. So that's a concern there that maybe it won't be enough. I'm hoping Canada can advance to the next round, but I'm not at that at this point. It's kind of fifty-fifty. I would have been more happier if Honduras and El Salvador drew both of their games. Yeah, I mean that would have been the, the ideal scenario. But anyway, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. So just until we we do catch up again, Steve, just let everyone know where they can find you online. Well, now that I'm fully recovered, uh, you can find me online at, uh, at WhitecapsBeat on Twitter. And I'm Michael McCall. You can find me online at AFTN Canada on Twitter. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. You'll get all the coverage from Whitecaps and MLS, USL, Residency and the national team as well. I'm also the Whitecaps Beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com and starting this season I'm going to be doing some stuff for USLsoccer.com as well, so watch out for my stuff there. So as always, thanks for listening, take care, 
And until next time, more the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Ten minutes left. Yeah,